Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's the final Monday of June. How is this possible? We're halfway through 2023. What? Anyway, I'm so glad that you guys are here today because we have a special debut author on and anyone who has listened to me for any amount of time knows that I get so excited about debuts because there is never another book quite like your first one. And a lot of times when your debut novel comes out, authors don't have that, you know, they don't have a big readership yet. And so (laughs) publishers toss you out there and go promote your work. (laughs) And you stand there going to who? Um, So I always am excited to welcome debut authors on and you guys are in for a treat because Nancy is so funny. So I can't wait for and her book sounds fantastic. So I'm not going to keep babbling. I will read her bio so you can get to know her. Nancy Crochier. Oh, I should have asked how to say your name. Did I just butcher it, Nancy? You you did it perfectly. Yay! Okay. (laughs) I saw that and I thought, boy, I could have asked and I didn't. Okay. She wrote a humor column about family life for Massachusetts newspapers for 13 years. And her collection of those columns, titled The Motherlode, was a finalist for Forwards Review's Book of the Year in Humor and the Independent Publishers of New England 2014 Book Award. She's a graduate of Middlebury College and she She earned a master's degree in English language and literature from the University of Minnesota. She's an alumna of Grub Street's Novel Incubator Program and worked as a developmental editor for various educational publishers. Her essays have appeared in the Boston Globe, Writer's Digest, and WBUR's Cognoscenti Blog might have butchered that. She began her fiction career with her do- when her daughters were young by pinning creative notes to excuse their tardiness at school. With her girls now grown, she lives north of Boston with her husband, a lawyer and marathoner, and a few houseplants that could use just a little more attention. Graceland is her first novel. And you can find out more at her website. I did put a link to her website right there on the Blog Talk site. So if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that and get connected with her and sign up for her newsletter and check out her books. And I don't want to delay anymore. Are you there, Nancy? I know you are because <laughs> I'm here. And you're much better with pronunciation than you think you are. You did them both great. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> Good news. And it's a Monday, too, so kudos to me. Oh, yes. (laughs) So I'm so excited about your book. It's called Graceland. Do you want to tell everybody about it and why they should go grab a copy? Sure, yeah. It is, um, if I were to tell you about Graceland in a sentence, it is the story of a single mom who is forced to chase her Elvis-obsessed mother and her pink-haired teenage daughter to Memphis to stop them from revealing a secret that she's been keeping for 17 years. So that's the log line or the elevator pitch, as we like to call it. And uh, it's a a funny and fast-paced road trip chase, basically, from, from Boston to Memphis with three women, mother, daughter, grandmother, Um, they're all at odds with one another, and each of them has her own agenda, and each of them, uh, whether or not she is actually aware of it, is sort of searching for 
self-acceptance, forgiveness, and grace. Oh, I love that. And I, <laughs> when I told my husband is a huge Elvis fan, and when I told him that I was having you on today and that your book is Graceland and it's this road trip to, to Elvis's house, and I told him, and I'm pretty sure hijinks occur. And he said, you know, if you are under 20 years old, there are always hijinks. So. Were you inspired by family things with your hijinks that ensue? <laughs> um, sure. I mean, you know, it, 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 the, the book is all about family interactions. And as you said in the intro, you know, I was a humor columnist for 13 years. So I wrote about, uh, you know, kids, teenagers, even uh, college students. And uh, mother-daughter relationships are, are at the heart of the book. And uh, as we know, mother-daughter relationships are always just a little tricky. Um, <laughs> so there, there are plenty of uh, hijinks involved. There's, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, interesting people they meet along the way, as it said on your promotion stuff on your website you know there there are some free-range ferrets involved there are some elvis <laughs> impersonators there are you know some uh soap actors who are a little envious of one of my characters so there's lots of drama oh, i love it and what inspired you to it i read in your bio that you were in a novel incubator program. Was this something that you cooked up with other people? Did it just pop in your head one day? Our listeners are always curious where the inspiration came for the book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, um, well, Grub Street's novel incubator program is a year-long program where you have to actually start with a first draft. And in this program, there you're in it with ten other people, and you you really work and revise and dig into uh, and learn about how to write a novel in this course. But you start with a first draft. So I was actually writing it for a few years before I was in the incubator program. Oh, okay. um, and yeah, yeah. I think the 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 idea started with, as I said, you know, mother daughter interactions. I was picturing uh, this teenage, uh, pink-haired teenage activist who actually feels like she's more uh, close in personality with her grandmother than her mother. She's sort of um, angry at her mother because she has found out that her mom's keeping secrets and actually has been lying to her all her life about her mystery father. Uh, And so she actually bonds more with her grandmother, who is this flamboyant uh, former soap star, um, Olivia is played a villainess on a long-running soap opera for 45 years, but now she's out of work and she's on oxygen, and uh, she sees the, uh, uh, you know, she she sees basically the, you know, from from here to eternity, and she's trying to figure out what to do with the rest of of her life, and so the one thing she wants to do is visit Graceland again, um, so she. First, she asked. She has to ask her uh, her daughter, uh, the single mom, to take her, and Hope can't take her because of this secret that she left in Memphis 17 years ago. So then Olivia coerces her, the pink-haired teenage daughter, uh, wrangles her to go to take her, and off they go. And Hope has no choice but to follow them. So sorry, <laughs> that was sort of a rambling explanation of of what goes on there. Um, 
but uh, did I get at your original question? What was your original uh-huh. question? <laughs> yeah, about about what inspired this this road trip book. I mean, have you been to Graceland? Did that have anything to do with it? Um, yes, I've been to Graceland a couple times now, and um, although, I, I, to be honest, when I originally had Graceland be the, the destination, the road trip goes from Boston to Memphis, so when I had Graceland uh, as the destination, uh, there were two reasons for that. Part of it was uh, people have different ideas about Graceland. I mean, somebody who is a real Elvis fan almost feels like Graceland is a sacred place, and somebody mm-hmm. who is less of an Elvis fan might go and think, well, it's kind of, you know, campy and, you know, it's a little, uh, some of the decor, like the Jungle Room is is a little funny (laughs) to our modern eyes. Um, So I thought Graceland had a great opportunity. I wanted the destination to be both kind of campy and sacred at the same time. Um, But I also just like the, the metaphor of Graceland, that they're searching for grace. Um, and once Graceland was part of the the picture, of course Elvis insisted on being part of it. There was just no of way course. to get him out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, and uh, although I didn't, I, I always admired Elvis's music. I, I was not the biggest Elvis fan in the world um, until I started writing, and I, I just uh, grew to appreciate him and what he did musically so much more uh, after all the research that I did for the book. I love that. Did you research driving? Because you live near Boston, right? Did you research the road trip from Boston to Ab- Graceland? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had, had to take the road trip. I, I visited Memphis three times, but one of the times was actually doing the road trip, and it, it was good to do. I mean, research is important. You find out things you didn't realize uh as you're driving, like, oh, there was a time zone change in the middle of Tennessee, huh? I would have to right? adjust a few things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Every time I write, I write series usually, and so if I'm writing a series, I usually make a couple trips to wherever I'm setting it, and just because I feel like if you don't go, there's only so much Google can tell you. And when you go, you can walk around and go, oh, that's where people would go, you know, out on a date. And, oh, that's where people would go get a job. And, oh, that's where they might take their broken down car, you know. And you can't can't really do that on Google. So I love that you actually did the road trip. But it probably gave you yeah, lots of ideas I, too, right? Yeah, it was probably part of that debut novelist syndrome. But I absolutely I, – I was probably – almost a little too obsessed with getting the details right. I was picturing mm-hmm. you know, being at a book presentation and having somebody say, well, you can't turn left out of the Peabody Hotel and get to this, you know. So I walked every single, I made sure everything lined up, and I even tried to do some things that, um, you know, they were so funny in retrospect. Um, there's a scene in the book that takes place in in a jail cell, and I was determined that I was going to talk my way into the jail facility in Memphis, and it was a, a riot because the you know the police officer that ended up um, talking to me and uh, he didn't really believe I was a writer. He, I would say things like, "Well, what, what would you?" 
you know, if somebody was arrested at the Peabody Hotel, where would they be taken, you know, and he'd, mm-hmm. say, you know, he'd, he'd say, well, what did your friend do? And I, no, I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a writer. I'm wondering, uh, that's sort of what I'm run- wondering is what he would have to do to get arrested and taken here. Well, where's your friend now? <laughs> like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm <laughs> no, a writer. <laughs> He's like, well, you can you can just check the board downstairs. You'll see where they brought, you know, it's like it, he you know, probably had every reason to be suspicious and not buy my story, but it was it was funny. <laughs> I love that. And did your husband go along with you on your on your road trip adventure? Um, interestingly, no. I, I went both times with girlfriends, and oh, I love uh, it. My, yeah, my husband uh, just uh, has his own pretty busy life going on as a as you read he's a lawyer and a marathoner and that takes up pretty much 23 <laughs> out of 24 different. hours of the day <laughs> <laughs> he uses the other one to you know cut the grass and sleep right. <laughs> yes <laughs> quick little bit of sleep <laughs> well my poor husband I drag him on all my book research adventure trips and he's learned to be so patient while we pepper people with questions <laughs> You do, you do have to, yeah, as the the go-along person, you know, my... the other funny story I like to tell is that um, my my girlfriend and I, you know, we're we're women of a certain age, and so it was pretty funny when we had to try to find the frat houses at the University of Memphis. You know, you can picture my <laughs> my friend and I driving along, you know, women of a certain age rolling down the windows and yelling to the college students, "Where are the frats?" <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you because you wrote essays for so long what was that shift like for you from writing essays to a novel when did you decide I have an idea that's big enough to be a novel you know I think I always wanted to write books and so when um yeah when my girls uh were in college I suddenly because uh, I'd been writing this this column about family life and all the funny stuff that goes on in family life I suddenly ran out of material you know I just right. I mean, there's a certain amount you can you can pick on your husband to for a certain amount of things but after a while I just felt like I just can't I can't talk about my family anymore <laughs> there's no, we're we've stopped being funny um so that's that's when I decided to uh pursue writing a novel and um yeah, it was it was quite an experience because there is a sense when you've been writing 700 word pieces, you know, week in and week out for a long period of time. It's like, oh, I can string together 70,000, 80,000 words, and it's uh, it's a lot more complicated than I thought. Of course, you know, there's a, yeah. obviously novels have to have arcs. They have to have mm-hmm. you know serious character developments. They have to you know be broken down and in various ways and have themes and images and all that stuff. So, um, I mean, it's not that I was unfamiliar with that because I was an English major, but it was just new for me to write in that way when I had been writing basically creative nonfiction, I guess, maybe we'd call right. it in my essay. Right, yeah, it's just a different, a different muscle, right? But in a way, chapters are like, you know, because an essay, same thing, you have to hook them at the beginning, and then you build your story, and then at the end, there's a little twist that makes it feel good, so that you're like, whoo, that was, I'm glad I read that, right? So it's exactly. kind of the same way with chapters of a book, too, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're kind of yeah, and I think that's 
It's true, and I think my my uh, training and my background in writing uh, those short columns uh, actually did help in terms of like having a you know an arc to the chapters and ending mm-hmm. on a on a strong beat and right. starting on a starting on a catchy a new uh, hook line. yeah yeah a good hook to draw the reader in. Yeah, I love that. Well, what was your writing journey like? Um, because it, it sounds like you were writing all through while your kids were home and growing up. But what did it look like when you decided, okay, I'm going to write this novel? Did you, you know, go back to school? Did you find a critique group? Did you, uh, you were obviously in that um, novel incubator, but you had already written your book by then. So, yeah, you know, I'd what did it look like for you? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, all of the above that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I immediately started taking classes. Uh, and Grub Street is the, for people who don't know, it's the the writing center in Boston. It's pretty, pretty well renowned. Um, and uh, so I took I took uh, classes where we'd workshop little bits of it. And I had a local critique group. But eventually, I realized that with the critique groups and the classes, people were only seeing little parts of it. And that was where the novel incubator program really helped me is that, you know, you're in a class with uh, or a group with nine other people who really have seen the whole thing and they, they can give you a much more informed opinion of it. So that helped immensely. I've had outside readers as well during the process. Um, when I started querying agents, I queried for a while and I got some bites, but no, nobody or some interest, but no real offers. Um, and so I took it back and did did some work that I probably should have done before I started querying. I cut about twenty thousand words out, um, and then I worked <laughs> with uh, yeah, there's there's that. Um, I worked with a developmental editor just to be sure that everything was tied up neatly in a bow. So um, once I had gone through that process and started and queried again, I, I very quickly got an agent after that. So that was kind of my process. It was about five years of writing and three years of, you know, getting an agent, getting a book deal, getting the, the book out into the world. Right, right. And I think it's interesting because readers often don't know how long, you know, that all takes. But, man, it is writing the book is like the easy part. Getting it published <laughs> is, is a whole other ball of Absolutely. wax. And, you know, I remember my first book, I rewrote it three times before finally everything came together. So if you are starting to write out there, do not give up. It's a long process. <laughs> Yeah, there, there. It is. It is more true than not that many of the people I know have published debut novels. They say, "Oh, it took eight years. It took ten years." Because um, you're not just writing for your first book. You're not just writing a novel. You're you're learning to write a novel, mm-hmm. basically, exactly. and it takes a while. And um, as as you know, once you get going. <laughs> You, right. you now write two or three a year, right? I mean, that's exactly. so that's, mm-hmm. yeah. You you do get much faster the more that you do it. But that first book, you are not only it, it. I I was lucky and I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple times before he died, and he could make you cry talking about writing. And one of the things that he used to say was that he thought that writing was the hardest of all of the arts. Because he said, you know, if you painted your first painting, you would never try to sell it. Never. Because you could see that 
it was your first one and you're learning. But he said they teach you in school to write a sentence. So when you write enough sentences, you have written a book. And so you're ready to go send it out there. And he said, but you haven't learned to be a storyteller yet. And that is he very said, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he said it just takes a long time to be a storyteller. You you could be a novel writer, but you're not a storyteller yet. And so that was why he would, you know, he, he would say, you have to write 600,000 words of crap before good words start coming out because, because you're learning. And, and, you know, I find that to be true. You rewrite, you rewrite, you put that in a drawer, you write another one, you know, all that kind of thing until you really find your voice. And people talk about what is your voice. And I, I feel like it's how you tell a story. And no matter what story you're telling, your voice comes through because that's how you tell a story. And no one else can tell it just like you. But it takes a while for you to get there because at first you're emulating other people and you're, you know, writing sentences instead of <laughs> telling a story. Yeah. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it is hard. It's hard to get that first book out and get it polished enough that it gets published. And so kudos to you because so many people give up and and because it does take a long time. It does. And, and to your point, you know, yes, I, I often joke to people that I probably wrote 500,000 words mm-hmm. in order to get down to the 80 to 90 or whatever it is that, that my final book is. Um, so, yeah, I um, uh, 500,000 words. So that, that could, could that could have been five other novels, right? But right. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, exactly. That was how much it took just to sort of learn to write the first one. And um and you're right. And I always advise writers too to to workshop. And I know it's hard for some people. There are some people who just feel like I'm going to be crushed if people say, you know, something negative about it. But it, the, it's so important to the process because you can't you can't fully see what you know right. your own writing. You, you have to exactly, especially when you're early on as a writer. But um, you you have to get other people's feedback and. Um, hopefully those are, you know, kind but knowledgeable people. Right, right. I had a writer friend when I was still querying and just starting out, and she was so funny because she read my book, and she made some notes, and then she told me, she she gave me my best writing advice ever. She said, Lisa, you will not be able to travel with this book to tell people what everything means. I was like, oh, uh. <laughs> That was such good advice because I would see her note and I'd go, well, she did that because, and she goes, then put that on the page. You can't oh, hop yeah. up from behind their couch and go, do you see what this means? <laughs> like, oh, okay, Very good, good advice. Point. Very true. Yeah, yeah. And that's what your readers tell you is they tell you when you're not being clear, you know, because mm-hmm. we know in our exactly. head what we're trying to say, but... Um, right. Yeah. But sometimes we need that out, outside feedback of somebody who doesn't know so that we know what we don't have on the page, because often, you know, it it's in your head. So it seems totally clear to you. And then on the page, it's a little more vague. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, what's interesting too is, you know, my book um, is, is came out on audiobook, and I was listening to it. And what you don't realize as a writer is how many different ways there are to read a sentence, you know, or to act mm-hmm. out a sentence. Because there's three voice actresses who do the um, the three protagonists, the mother, daughter, and grandmother, on this road trip, and um, it. You know, just sentences that seemed perfectly clear to me where right. the emphasis should be, and they did it differently. And I, you know, I don't think that they did anything wrong. It's just our assumption. Well, of course, of mm-hmm. course, you read it like that. Of course, you hear it like right. that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And and it's when when my books came out on audio and I listened, it was amazing to me to hear because the narrators for audiobooks, I always envisioned that it was just someone reading a book to you, but no, no, <laughs> they like, they're acting. Act it yeah. And yeah, they take your book. It's almost like it's a movie for your head. I love audiobooks now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. I've done a great, uh, huge amount of my reading over the past 20 years. I, I started with books on tape. I think they called it back then old cassettes and, <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I just I listen to it in the car or when I'm doing laundry or mm-hmm. washing dishes. Anything I don't want to do, it, it can be improved right. by listening to a book. <laughs> for sure, definitely. Well, um, what's next for you? Is this one, I, I think this one is a standalone. Are you working on another book now? Yes, you're right. This is a standalone. And um, yes, I should be working on my other book right now. Instead, I'm uh, <laughs> focusing a lot of attention and promoting this one, but I, I will have to turn to it very soon. And I, I do have uh, another novel in sort of skeletal phase right now, uh, trying to get an outline so that I'm uh, I'm planning to be more of a plotter this time than than a pantser. And I guess you know, some my friend told me recently that not everybody understands those terms. But you know, when we when I wrote my first novel, I was writing sort of by the seat of my pants. I didn't know exactly mm-hmm. where I was going. But now that I know the novel form and the shape and how you know narrative arcs work, I think I would like to be a plotter and learn how to write in, you know, a hundred thousand words rather than 500,000 words to get to the 380 pages that you get to keep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm somewhere in between because I usually know the beginning and the end, but I'm not sure how I'm going to get to the end. And I've tried because I would love to be a plotter. I'm very jealous of my plotter friends who know what they're writing today. But the few times that I have tried to plot, it kills my, I guess in my brain, it's like, well, now it's a term paper. Now it's homework. I already know how it turns out. And I cannot, everything that I've plotted too much stalled. So I'm just honoring my process now. <laughs> I just. No, I and just I've heard that. I'm and that's going, fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think the I think the ideal thing is probably something in the middle, right? As right. with everything, it's, it's something a, a little bit of plotting and, and a little bit of pantsing. Because I have heard that that once you if you plot too carefully, you can just feel like, well, where's the fun in this? Yeah. Exactly, because usually it's the surprises that always make you go, oh, "What's happening?" And then you have to write more because you have to know what's happening next. And why did the characters do this? And you know, and so. So for me, anyway, the 
the discovery is part of obviously part of my process because that's what keeps me writing. So it's always fun to leave it a little open so that, but even my plotter friends occasionally have a surprise in there that they weren't expecting. Um, And I think that makes writing fun, you know? Yeah, it happens, especially if you're really good at um, creating very unique characters. Uh, My character of Olivia was like that. She always surprised me, you know, she would, she would Mm -hmm. end up, you know, pretending to faint. All of a sudden, she'd be on the floor there. It's like, oh, okay. That was a, <laughs> that was a surprise. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> this new book that you're writing, is it going to be another, like, humorous women's fiction type thing? Is that is that where you see yourself going, or are you hopping genres? <laughs> I'm not going to genre hop just yet, uh, okay. especially since, uh, yeah, I think it will be a long, I think I have a certain style, and yeah. um, uh, I think the the book will probably end up being humorous, but um, I do like the idea of growing as a writer. I mean, I don't know if you've followed Gabrielle Zevin's career, but um, her recent book, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, was very different from some of her earlier books and she's tried she actually has done some genre hopping but mm-hmm. i admire her uh her work and it's i hope that my next book shows some growth as a writer but is still in the same basic yeah genre. yeah i love it well we're running out of time so everybody be sure that you run out and grab a copy of graceland and when they do and they read it and they're excited how can they connect with you? are you on social media Absolutely, yeah. I'm on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and you can always um, go to my website and leave a, a comment on uh, that. It's just www.nancycrochere.com. So all all you have to do is know how to spell crochet, but yeah. <laughs> well, there, I did put a link on the on the blog talk site, so everyone go click that, and you can get in touch with Nancy and find her social medias there as well. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being with us today. This was so much fun, and I can't wait to read the book and see what your next book is. Congratulations on your debut. Oh, thanks so much. It was my pleasure to be here. It was delightful chatting with you. I'm going to order one of your books, too, now that I've found out how many you have. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Well, thanks so much for being here, Nancy, and we will talk to you soon. Everyone, go grab Graceland. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.